Hi there, my name is Adam Waters, and I'm the lead pastor here at Grace Bible Church in Elmhurst, Illinois. I'm just so glad that you made the decision to take us along with you this week on life's journey. Here at Grace Bible Church, we are a family of faith who seeks forgiveness, healing, and hope in Jesus Christ. Now, we might all come from different backgrounds, but each of us recognize that the tremendous needs in our lives point us to one place, to God, for His answers, His provision, and mostly for His grace. I hope the following program gives you a new perspective on who God is, who you are, and how you too might find forgiveness, healing, and hope in our Lord Jesus. Thanks for listening. remember my first day of boot camp when I joined the Navy. And as I walked in this dark and dank supply warehouse, we all stood in line standing there in our civilian clothes and they said, take them off. You're never going to see them again. We took our clothes off, they took our hair off, they took everything off and they threw uniforms at us. We grabbed our uniforms, we walked down, you know, big-eyed, something we'd never experienced. Is it as bad as everyone was going to say it was? And we get to the measuring place and they tape you. Neck, 16. Waist, 38. 38? You mean 32? 38. It's a 38. And then we wouldn't see those uniforms again because they'd go off to the tailor and they would be pressed and they'd be cleaned. So while we were going through boot camp, we were waiting for these uniforms to come back. So there's something of a sense of anticipation that occurs when these uniforms come in one of the last weeks of boot camp. And so we get them in them for the first time. We get pictures taken. There's a sense of, okay, like I'm an actual member of the armed forces. And then graduation occurs, and then we get our first time of liberty. This is the time we get to go off base and go out into town. And every single person who graduates from boot camp, I think pretty much across the services, cannot wait to wear their uniform out in town, to go home, to go to the store, to go to whatever while wearing the evidence that they are serving their country, carry it with such pride. And then about a week goes by. And you realize that when you're wearing a uniform, people treat you differently. You realize that when you're wearing a uniform, as much as you had that pride just a few short weeks before, you suddenly are having a sense of, I'm sticking out like a sore thumb among the rest of the people here. And so over time, we end up taking our uniforms off and trying every opportunity we can to go back into civilian clothes. Unless, of course, it's a special occasion. We go home for our families, and then we wear our uniforms, and we're proud. I wore my uniform with pride. But sometimes we just want to fit in. Sometimes we don't want to be dressed a certain way for what it might mean about who we are and how we believe others will expect us to behave as a result. Well, this occurs in our Christian walk as well. The joy of our salvation in the beginning when we're first saved and we have that pink cloud moment can wear off in the ease and grace that we so much enjoy at the beginning of our days walking with the Lord can wane. Maybe some of us, though, have honestly never even worn the uniform in the first place. I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm saying the Lord has saved you, but you've never declared it to the public. The truth is, as God's word says, that we cannot stay the same. We should not stay the same if indeed the Spirit lives within us. We need to live in congruence with our new uniform. 
which is Christ. If we don't do this, we're going to walk out of step with the Lord for the duration of our Christian walk. We'll always feel like different and apart, and we'll always have these senses of, I should be doing something else, and that can wreak havoc upon our Christian walk. Satan loves to speak to us when we're not living the way that we should. So today, we're going to continue in our series through the book of Ephesians. We're in Ephesians chapter 4. We have pew Bibles here. If you have your Bible with you, please open up. Chapter 4, verse 17 through 32. All right, as we take a look at this text, there's three main ideas that come out, and then we're going to talk about how do we apply this in our lives? How do we allow this to permeate our hearts to such a degree that it changes us, that the uniform that Christ tells us to put on himself is the clothing we wear instead of falling back on our old sort of wardrobe, okay? The first thing is God calls believers to a new way of life. Now, you might think that's obvious. I come to church, I act differently, but it's not. It's very easy to walk in two worlds. Listen to what Paul says in verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They've become callous and given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. You see, God is calling us to live differently than the way we lived before. This can be a tough passage for some of us. Some of us have been saved at an early age, or they grew up in a great household that was permeated with Christian morals, and they lived in that Judeo-Christian ethic, in that Judeo-Christian space. But this was not the case at the time of Paul's writing this. We're talking about the Roman Empire. And we're talking about the city of Ephesus. Ephesus, there was a temple there to Diana. Diana, among other things, was the Roman goddess of fertility. And so there were just lewd and public sexual acts that would often take place as a result of the worship of Diana. And this is not a, a unique occurrence across the ancient world. To be frank, it's not a unique occurrence necessarily around the modern world. Paul is writing about a culture that is completely apart, separated from God. Here in the United States, we still enjoy, as much as many of us want to rail, we enjoy the remnants of a Western civilization, the remnants of a Judeo-Christian mindset and ethic, where certain things are right and wrong just because they are, never realizing that we got those morals, we received those morals hundreds, thousands of years ago in the pages of the scripture. We need to hear stuff like this because we can live with one foot in both worlds. Now, when I read this, this sounds like me. This sounds like me, frankly, not that long ago. There was a time when I walked in the darkness of my understanding, and I know that there are those here who have come out of difficult lives, lives that were permeated in sin. It's this what Paul is talking. It's this is what Paul is talking about. When he speaks of Gentiles here, of course, he speaks of unbelievers. And the words that Paul uses here are quite serious. 
But not only is there the context of like the Temple of Diana, the Roman Empire, there's also an aspect here in which Paul is speaking of a corporate element. He's saying the Gentiles, everyone else out there. Today, we would interpret that as those who do not believe in Christ, those who are separated just as we were from the life of Christ. The culture apart from Christ. It's not that every single Gentile lives a life that sounds like this in its fullest expression. Nevertheless, if we read this passage and we skip by it and say, that's them, not me, we're missing an important point. We're missing something that we have to get our hearts around is that we are broken is that within us is the seed of sin that will not be rooted out until the day that the Lord plucks it and we stand in glory. I don't care how long you've walked with the Lord. I don't care how much work the Spirit has done in your life. God here wants you to know today that apart from Him, this is you. And as we walk with the Lord and as we grow with the Lord and learn more and more about who He says we are, as we reflect upon the sin that still resides within us, when we read these pages, we say, but for the grace of God go I. But what wonderful grace it is. The whole book of Ephesians is speaking, in the first three chapters primarily, talking about the spiritual realities in the unseen realm. We live in a world here where we basically only judge what we can with our eyes, really, what we can see, what we can feel, what we can touch. Paul is saying there's much more. Paul is saying is that there are things that God has done. There are moves that God has made in your heart and in your spirit that for all intents and purposes feel behind the scenes and are unseen to us. He's saying, nevertheless, I'm telling you, this is the truth. And so now, walk by faith in that truth. Walk as if it were true for you. God, through Paul, is adjusting our vision to the reality of the human condition, even in the face of the evidence that we use to value people, their motives, their actions, their spiritual impulses. We say, that's a good person. And frankly, we're surrounded by people who are lovely people. People who, and many of them, do not believe on the Lord. That is not what Paul is talking about here. Paul is talking about what is going on in someone's spirit. What is happening behind the scenes with them. The reality is that despite what we see in the people around us, these attributes are how God evaluates their perspectives, their mindsets, and their values apart from Christ. Otherwise, why did Jesus die? Think about it. Listen to what Paul says. And I want you to think about you. I want you to consider your own life before God called you into the kingdom of light. Darkened in their understanding. Check, that sounds like me. I don't know about you. Had no idea that Christ was there, what his will was, or why he needed to die. Alienated from the life of God. Due to our ignorance, we didn't know. The scary thing about this 
And the reason that I believe God is calling us to go out and preach is because their ignorance is not innocent. Our ignorance was not innocent. It's due to our hardness of heart. They've become callous. In other words, without a sense of right or wrong that aligns with the will of God, there's a sense that the things of God come to them cannot penetrate. You know, there's a danger for believers to become hard of heart, to hear God's word again and again. When you talked about, Michael talked about hearing the word and being doers of the word, we can hear the word again and again. And if we're not willing to put what we hear into practice, it's dangerous. Because we say, yeah, I know. And it becomes harder and harder for God to penetrate to that place that we need him to live. It's interesting, there's a variant reading here in this passage, this word callous, having become callous. It reads despairing. That means back when this was being, transla- or being transferred from one manuscript to the next, hundreds of years ago, in the first few centuries after Christ's death, as they were, because they didn't have Xerox, they were copying by hand, letter by letter. And for whatever reason, along the way, this word became the word despairing. I can ask why. There's a lot of reasons for that I won't go into. But the truth is, is that even in the, the, de- the variant reading, we see something of ourselves apart from Christ. Despairing. Hopeless is what Paul says earlier in the book. And it's often our hopelessness that leads them, leads us to vice. We have no other source of salvation. We have no other source apart from Christ. So we don't know. We go out and seek it for ourselves. We try everything. Is this going to work? Will this make me okay? Will this make me okay? In the end, they're all futile. Sensuality. Doing as one pleases. Now, we read this as a sexual connotation, but that's not necessarily what it means. It can mean that. In fact, it often means that. But this word also is used in the book of Jude to describe those who view the good things that God gives them as an excuse to do what they want. To live a life of happiness and pleasure apart from God the only true source of joy. And finally, greedy. Insatiable, often used in the context of idolatry. We're never satisfied. Have you ever noticed that about your heart? We're never satisfied. Now, some would say that is part of our sin nature. The fact that we are sinners means that we seek our salvation in everywhere but Christ. And so we we want more and need more. I have a somewhat different take on that. I believe that God created us to be unsatisfied. I believe it's part of the human condition, that dissatisfaction, because there's only one thing, one person, who can provide infinite satisfaction. That one is God. Though we like to put distance of time and context between us and the Gentiles we read about on this page. We must be cautious to say to ourselves, that's, that's not me at all. I ask again, then why did Christ have to die? 
We are called to a new way of life. Second, this new life in Christ demands a new mindset. Verse 20. But this is not the way you learned in Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and you were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. The mindset that we need to live out of is rooted in the person of Christ, who is the embodiment of truth. When we live our lives and we say, how must I live? It's I must live like Jesus. We look to the pages of scripture. We look to his life. What did Christ prioritize? And how can I think like that? As we look upon Christ, as we gaze upon him, we're transformed in our mind. But if we're distracted by the things of this world, our sin, our desires, everything that's happening, we'll be transformed in the face of those. Whatever we think or believe must be compared, compared to and adjusted to and aligned with the person of Jesus Christ. When we read God's word, we perform something called exegesis. Maybe you've heard something about exegetical preaching. It's the interpreting and the explanation of God's word. But when we look at God's word, as much as we are exegeting, as much as we are seeking to understand and interpret what it means, we must allow God through it to interpret us. Looking at the word of God should be an exercise in self-exegesis. Lord, as I use this word, Spirit, as you're working in me to reveal the truth to me and embed it in my heart, show me where I'm wrong. Show me where I'm not aligning to your word. Perhaps most importantly, show me those hidden, subtle, deceptive desires. Show me why I really want the things that seem so enticing to me. We take off our old self and put on our new self. That old self is our spiritual nature, your old mindset, your old clothes. You know, every once in a while, someone will say something to me and the old Adam wants to come out. That should not be a unique statement for any of you. I thought I'd see a bunch of bobbing heads. All of you got an old person in there, trust me. And I'm not talking about some elderly person either. You know who you can be. You know who can come out if the right situation happens. If that person hits that button, something is going to happen. That is the person that Christ came to die for. That is the person that Christ wants to continue to put to death in you through the power of the Spirit, putting on Christ your new uniform. The uniform of the unbeliever, the sinful mind darkened by its own futility, belongs to the old manner of living, who you were, not who you are, not certainly who God says you are. The very point of Ephesians itself 
Many of us walk around trying to be who we think others think we should be. Many of us walk around trying to think, well, who does God want me to be? And never once looking at the pages of Scripture to figure out if that's it. Who do I think I need to be in order for people to love me, to respect me? Who do I need to be in order to keep the peace? But that person belongs to your old manner of living, and it's corrupted through deceitful desires. Our old nature wants what it should have and then tells us there will be no consequences. I want what I want, and it'll be fine. But there are always consequences with sin, and sin always leads to sin. We can never just have a little sin. It always breeds Let me give you an example. (laughs) Perhaps you're trying to break a habit. It's a troublesome habit. You pick your habit. Because I'm assuming that we all have something. And if we don't, stick around. We're going to figure it out, okay? There's something going on in our heart that we want to stop doing. So we do everything we can to fight it. We do everything we can in order to be better. And then we slip one day. And whatever it is, I think about dieting in me. Dieting. I slip. What happens immediately after that slip? If I'm not careful, five more slips. Then if I'm not careful about those, ten more slips. Until pretty soon I'm so far off my diet, I'm at, you know what I mean. There's something about fighting sin and allowing sin a foothold again and sensing, if you're sensitive to it, how quickly it wants to overtake everything. It's why we need to be cautious. It's why we have to be in the mindset of Christ because if we're not thinking like Jesus and we're thinking like us, trying to live like Jesus, problems. Diet, binge, diet, binge, diet, binge. Plug in whatever you want for the word diet. Part of the reason that we struggle is we are not putting on the mind of Christ. Believers are called to be renewed in the spirit of their minds. Paul says, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, to put on the new self. So interesting about here is it doesn't say to renew yourself. It says to be renewed. This is the responsibility of the Holy Spirit in your life. The problem is, is we can say no. God has given us the ability to be able to say, I don't want that. I talk about it frequently. I'm about to go down a path. Spirit whispers in my ear, and I say, enough of you. I'll talk to you in a minute. When we stand before the Lord and we allow him, when we, in the Spirit, allow God to have his way with us, to renew our minds, even to the place of our desires, we begin to be changed. This means having a teachable spirit. It means... If I'm looking at my life and my situation apart from Christ, then I'm viewing it through the lens of a deceitful desire. And there's a pretty good chance I'm going to go off track. 
we're called to suit up and put on Christ. Finally, the evidence of a new mindset in Christ should ultimately appear in our relationships. We are a body, one of another. This means that what impacts us deeply needs to impact the people around us. So we're going to walk through this a little more slowly, line by line. We're going to talk about them. First is lying. Verse 25, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for are now members one of another. If you think about your life and think about where do I exaggerate, think about your life and say, someone asked me a question and I flippantly answer because I don't really want to put the effort in. But if you really were honest, it would be different. Lying. Lying is a sin, like every other sin, that when we lie, we think the other person doesn't know, they're none the wiser, I'm okay, we're hurting each other. We're members, one of another. And you're even hurting yourself. Resentment, verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity for the devil. It means holding a grudge, allowing anger to beget more sin. I'll get them back. These areas quickly become a foothold for the devil to serve, to act in our lives, to allow more separation between the people in our lives. People with whom we should have complete unity as brothers and sisters in the Lord. Yet we allow a sideways comment or a funny glance to dictate maybe the way we in, interact with others for sometimes decades theft. Let the thief no longer steal, but let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. A new mindset in Christ precludes thievery, because we have everything we need in him. Now, when I read this, it seems like the thief talk comes out of nowhere. It's all of this, be kind, say nice things, don't be angry, oh, by the way, don't steal from each other. Seems kind of obvious. But why is it in here? I have no idea. But I have an idea, but I have a thought. That sounded funny. I don't know for sure, but I have a suspicion. We'll say it like that. Okay. These letters, the book of Ephesians was a letter written to a church for a situation. There's a specific context, and it's not always very clear. So you have to read between the lines to understand what is it they are addressing, what is Paul addressing in this church that may have been included in a letter that was sent to him first. They're situational. It, when I read it, this is I, Adam, speaking, not the Lord, okay? When I read it, I think that someone stole something in the church. I think that it caused drama. I think the person who felt wronged refused to forgive. The person who stole refused to admit it, and it went about into a slanderous, drama-filled church thing. We know, what we're talking, we know about those at times, don't we? We've heard about them. Some of us experienced them. We know. That's what I think is happening. I think that Paul is pointing back to the idea that we are united in Christ and so we should live like it. And what is an example of being disunited? This. Lacking unity looks like a situation like this. Let the thief no longer steal. This is a side note. I love this verse. Let the thief no longer steal. That's one thing, obvious. The next part is to go beyond it. Rather, let him work, do honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share. This is the idea of we can't just stop a behavior. We need to add a behavior to replace it. So if I'm having a hard time with my language, I stop swearing. That's one thing. The, what I really need to do is begin to speak good things, 
true things, edifying things. This is the way forward. Not just eliminating the behavior that we want. The Spirit wants us to go forward in it. Corrupting talk. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good uh, for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. This word corrupting, I did a little work on that because I wanted to know what that means. Because you can fit anything into that line, really. The word is sapras. In other contexts, it means putrid. The idea that someone is giving you, it's actually used in the context of fish. Fish, three-day-old fish. You gave me this three-day-old fish. It's sapras. Of such poor quality to be useless or even damaging. Think about what comes out of our mouths. Sometimes we have no reason to say the things we are saying. And they actually hurt the people that we're speaking to. Metaphorically, it comes across as unwholesome, evil, or bad. Fortunately, Paul gives us a little better idea in the following sentences. That, so we can know something we're saying is sapras, unwholesome or, or corrupting, if we say, if it breaks somebody down, if it's not appropriate for the occasion, and shows a lack of grace to the other person. That's a pretty good measure right there. I want to say something. Let me see if, if I should say this. Is it going to build them up? Is it going to show them grace? And is it appropriate for the occasion? Is now the right time to say what I want to say? And finally, ungraciousness, verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. That's what you put away. This is what you put on. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Paul's telling the Ephesians and God through Paul that we need to treat others with the idea, the mindset that we understand what we have been saved from. That we understand who we are apart from Christ. Otherwise, we will universally hold people to a different standard than ourselves. And when they fail we hold it against them. So, what should this new life in Christ look like? A couple of questions here. First, it should look like Christ. The new life in Christ should look like Christ. This is the process of sanctification. This is what it means to be growing in holiness before the Lord. God declares us holy at the moment of our salvation. That's positional. God sees us, sees holy. It's commensurate upon us as we walk this world to allow the Spirit to work in us that we would grow into the likeness of Christ in reality on sort of we look good on paper. What does it look like in reality? Right? On paper, we're holy, but in reality, we do some unholy things. So we're in a process. We grow into a holy walk. One day we will stand there before the Lord, completely holy in every respect at a moment we call glorification. We'll be glorified. We will be made like Christ. So it looks like Christ. It looks like the vision for life is revealed in the pages of Scripture. Some of us don't know how to live because we don't know what it's supposed to look like. We're not in the Word. It looks like sensitivity to the Spirit's leading. Because let's be honest, life's a lot of gray. We need God speaking to us to know where we should go, how we should live. 
It looks like actively rejecting the priorities, desires, and behaviors that do not honor God that seem to just continually seep back into our lives. And it looks like living out our intended purpose before God as worshipers, as those who are called to reflect God's glory not only back to God, but to the world around us. So worship and reflection, finally enjoyment. God did not make us to be miserable. God made us to enjoy him, enjoy him. So why do we hold on to our new life? Well, I think there's a lot of answers to this. I'll give you a few. Our old life seems safer. We know how to live that life. We know the rules to that life. We know all the characters. We know how to manipulate them to get what we want. We know how to achieve what we need to achieve within those rules. And after all, it's hard to trust a God we cannot see. It's hard to put down the things that we've been relying on. It's hard to not ask ourselves, what will become of me if I truly give up and allow God to have every part of me? So our old life seems safer. Our sin, I've used this word a lot, but it just feels right. Our sin is delicious. Sin calls us again and again. Unless we think it's for some outswear outside of us, know that it's right here. It's right here. We refuse to believe the power of God. Yeah, God can save those. God can transform him, but God can't do it for me. Despite what everything God says, God, you don't know the fight I'm in. What you're asking me to do, trust you and pray and to try in the power of the Spirit, that's not enough. I need something more. We refuse to believe the power of God. Ultimately, when we realize this, we need to agree with God and say, Lord, I see where I'm walking apart from you, where I'm living a life that's different than you were, where I'm living out of the old life instead of the new life. And we confess it. We look to Christ and we say, thank you, Lord Jesus, for living the perfect life on my behalf, that I stand before God whole and forgiven and graced beyond all belief. Because Christ has died for me, Lord, work in me through your spirit to be obedient. How do I live out of this new mindset? Well, We trust the Lord, we pray, we actively seek it, we take action. But this does not mean just try harder. It means that we let go. It means that we relinquish what we're holding on to, anything that is not Christ. I heard a really great illustration. It's like, you know, if you're getting ready for, you know, you take the bus to work each day. Your alarm clock doesn't go off, so you wake up late. You say, oh, Lord Jesus, please don't let me be late. They're going to fire me if I don't get there on time. Okay, I've prayed. Now, do you dawdle on your way to the bus? No, you run. You trust God in his prayer. You trust that he's going to give you what you need, but you run. You run. We live out of the new mindset, ultimately, By living as if the truth is true. Live as if the truth is true. So a couple questions for you. This is 
as we're doing communion, these are the things I want you to be thinking about today. Where do I need to allow this new mindset in Christ to influence my relationships? It's astounding to me sometimes. I can say this because I'm a Christian. I can come down on Christians. I don't know about non-Christians. They can... But it seems like people who say they know so much about God are so hard to get along with sometimes. Why? We should allow our mindset in Christ to influence our relationships. Here's another question. Who do I need to forgive like I've been forgiven? I believe that there are times in our life that God, someone has injured us. And in our refusal to forgive them, we end up reaping the reward of that. Our prayers aren't heard. The blessings we would ultimately see before us seem vapid because we're so obsessed with that other person's wrong against us. Who do I need to forgive like I have been forgiven? These are the things that I want you to be thinking about. These are the ideas. Where do I need to think like Christ, to be renewed because he pulled me out of complete and utter darkness, didn't he? Futile in our thinking, darkened in our minds, alienated from the life of God through our callousness, through our hardness of heart. Thank you, Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you told us, Lord, you speak to us through the pages of this word. This word. You, you speak to our hearts. We pray, Lord, that our eyes would be open to see exactly what it is that we individually in our lives need to do in order to have the mindset of Christ. Lord, we pray for the power to shun the things of our old life, to run from the things of our old life, the things we did in the futility of our thinking the darkness of our minds and our understanding, the fact that we were alienated and apart from you, Lord. We didn't know. We didn't want to know. Lord, we admit there are times that we're callous now, that we don't want to hear your words speaking to our hearts, that we want to stay the same when you're calling us to live a life that's different. We're called to walk according to our new calling, the new person, the new man within us. We pray, Lord, that you would give us grace to see where in our life, what articles of clothing in our life we need to take off in order to put you on. We pray, Lord, that you'd open our minds and our eyes and our lives and hearts to see the deceitful desires that we so often chase. Lord, renew us in our minds. Allow us to see the world and those around us and ourselves through your eyes that we might be created in the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Thank you, Lord, for saving us and thank you for continuing to walk with us. We pray, Lord, that you would give us the desire to live at peace with others, to strive for peace and unity, to make peace, speaking truth and goodness. Forgive us, Lord, where we refuse to forgive We pray, Lord, that those times that we're tempted to covet and take that which aren't ours, we pray, Lord, that you would forgive us and give us the grace to do the righteous thing, to work and share. 
We confess, Lord, that we often say things we shouldn't, and we pray that you would give us the wherewithal, that in that moment, Lord, through your Spirit, we would know to speak only that which is good for building up, which is appropriate, and that which will give grace to those who hear us. Oh, and Lord, we pray that we would not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Make us sensitive, Lord, that when we hear him speaking, you speaking through him to us, that we would be obedient. And that through that, we would love our neighbor, being kind and tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as you forgave us because of Christ and what he has done. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thought it was my glasses. All because of Christ. Everything we have is because of him. Keeping our eyes focused on the reason that we have been saved and pulled out by grace to a new way of life. Amen is right. We're called to celebrate that and remember that together in the form of communion. And today is that day. So as you came in, there were these cups. If you didn't get one, raise your hand. We have a couple people who will be coming around can give you one. For those of you who are visiting today, there's two, you know, two, one cellophane piece. That's for the bread. And you open the next one. That's for the juice. I'm going to pray for the elements. Then I want you to take a moment and talk with the Lord before you take them. It's okay. He can hear all of us. I want you to discuss with him areas of your life that you're wearing your old uniform. I want you to talk with him about places that people you need to forgive and things that you're trusting apart from him. And when you take these elements, remember that he died for those things. And then in this moment, by faith, when we take them, he empowers us and gives us the grace that we need in order to live in a manner that is worthy of our calling. On the night that Jesus was arrested, he took bread and he broke it. He says, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Then he took the wine. During the Passover meal, he says, this is my blood that seals the new covenant, the new way, that gives us the new life in Christ. Every time you drink of it, think of me. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your son Jesus, the true bread of heaven. We thank you, Lord, for Jesus who shed the true blood that we remember today. We pray that you would be with us. Open our minds. Open our hearts to hear your voice. We pray, Lord, that you would bless these elements as we take them. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Pastor Adam here. Well, I want to thank you for tuning in to Grace Bible Church, and I would love to hear what you thought of today's program or of ways that we can be praying for you and with you. So check us out on social media at GBCL. Also, if you would like to support our ministry, you can give securely at our website at www.gbclm.org. Now remember, God loves you, and so do we.